Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. And we are back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Fertel, and I have a crazy question for you. What is Vanderpump Rules? Is it television? <laughs> Who are these people? I can't go on Twitter without hearing people scream the words crazy, and I can't believe it, and is it all staged, and lots of conspiracy theories. As I understand it, this Lisa woman runs a restaurant in West Hollywood that is near bars like Trunks. So okay, she well, has you... to be an entrepreneur who needs some help. <laughs> You've definitely been to Pump before, right? I have been inside it to pee once because <laughs> when I'm out on the town, people really aren't at Pump, you know? Yeah, so that's you fair. can just sort of like stop inside. But I've never eaten there, actually. There was, I think there was the brief period where not even just Vanderpump Rules fans, but mostly like Bravo fans. Um, where we used to go to Pump, I feel like it was in the first year where it opened. People would go there. Okay. Um, and now no one really does. Although the the like um they have this cucumber like lemonade sort of vodka drink, which was very good and very deadly. But they have the same drink at um LeBane at the Standard in New York. So I feel like I'm home. Oh, okay. Well that thankful, thankful. Yes. Also, that uh, drink just in general sounds like something you would get spiked at Tender Greens or something. Are we sure it's special? <laughs> or or you'd have it served to you on Big Daddy's uh on Big Daddy's porch. Oh, see now this is reality, <laughs> quote unquote reality I can get into. Some Tennessee Williams. <laughs> All right. So to explain this, and it's so weird because I feel like in early episodes of Keep It, we talked about Vanderpump Rules because that was years ago. And that's when there was a period when people were discovering the show, but it was like smart people were discovering the show. Like, I remember Naomi Fry wrote a piece about it, I think, for The Times. Um, Roxanne Gay wrote about it and was always talking about it um, during her Twitter era. Um I feel like she's she vanished in the um, Avengers snap because uh, you, you never <laughs> she see pops Roxanne, up every you know, every so often. Yeah, you never see her tweeting about you know like um, her iPhone not being delivered anymore. You know, <laughs> when well, Twitter um, was great, it's so it's always so amazing when people talk about like the halcyon days of Twitter. I'm like people complaining about other things. Go on. <laughs> um, but Vanderpump Rules, you know, for people who've never heard of it, is a show that is a spinoff of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Yes, and so. This was about the servers at a restaurant named Sir, so we could call them Sir-vers. Okay. Get it? That's for you. Um, Sir, S-U-R, stands for Sexy Unique Restaurant. I did not know that. I have to say, a gulp <laughs> jumped up in my throat and then dropped to my abdomen. <laughs> so Sir Restaurant means Sexy Unique Restaurant Restaurant. <laughs> it's like ATM machine, right? Okay. And it's right next to like the, torti- the former Tortilla Republic. All right, which, as you know, is yeah. a real country. 
Yeah. Um, so the show was about them working there, and then it eventually became just about their lives. And we liked it when they were trashy and, you know, like had um, bad um, furniture in their apartments and, you know, like bad art up. They were like drinking wine out of mugs. Like they seemed like real like 20-year-olds who were living in L.A. trying to make it. Yeah. This is not and sustainable he, for reality show, though. Obviously, no. the upgrades occur. Yeah. And then they became famous. They were getting married. They were having kids. Most of them moved to Valley Village. Oh, to be near <laughs> people like Hillary Duff. <laughs> uh, and the show got awful for like two years. And so the show's been a little fun this season. But there was a scandal because two of the people on the show, Katie Maloney and Tom Schwartz. Now, there are two Toms. There's Tom Schwartz and Tom Sandoval. Two of the Toms own, and I use the term own loosely because they own about uh, 0.0005% of the restaurant Tom Tom. Okay. Uh, which Lisa Vanderpump, shrewd, um, you know, Alexis Carrington that she is, um, also a British um, evil woman. Right. Uh, <laughs> she named the restaurant after them to, you know, cash in on the name brand, but they don't own anything. Got it. Um, Tom and Katie got a divorce before this current season. So that was the drama this season. And there was drama that Tom was making out with this girl, Raquel, who had been on the show, someone's ex, etc. As it turns out, uh, the other Tom, Tom Sandoval, the one that everyone likes, he's friends with um, Ariana Maddox. And maybe you've seen her like on Twitter before being like cute. She's a blonde one. She's like the sane one. Got it. So, you know, she does like comedy shows and stuff. Um... But they have had a lovely relationship for, like, nine years. Uh, we found out this weekend that Sandoval, who was supposedly the good one, has been having an affair with Raquel Levis, another cast member, for months. Got it. First of all, can I just say Raquel is the ultimate other woman name? <laughs> <laughs> the other scandal is someone who went to high school with her showed her yearbook and her real name was Rachel. Oh, love that. <laughs> like simmering psycho vibes. <laughs> Hilaria uh, Baldwin, etc. Exactly. So they've been having an affair. Uh, and this was shocking to the Vanderpump Rules community, to the Bravo community, just because for nine years, they were like a pretty normal couple. Ariana, actually, I adore her. I'm actually friends with Ariana. Um, I adore her, but too nice to be... Too normal to be on reality TV mm. is always my problem. You know, never really serving crazy. But Tom always had this sort of smug self-righteousness. Uh, and now it turns out he's evil. And they're both evil. Well, that's a nice and, turn. I mean, like, how long can you like just a sane person on a reality show? And I, I think you guys were due for this. Yeah. So now Ariana has been cheated on. Um, and that sucks for her. Um, but Tom and Raquel are... Um, apparently in love with each other and have been having an affair for months. And there's more scandal in that, you know, like I said before, they thought that this one person was, um, the, the divorcee Tom was having a relationship with Raquel after having made out with her at Coachella. Turns out apparently that it was the other Tom and his best friend Tom was pretending to have had an affair with Raquel. Wait, what in three's company hell was that? What? <laughs> People pointing fingers at each other, going out the wrong doors. What's happening? So now the show is re the show. The tenth season is currently airing. They had stopped filming months ago, it's but been now they seasons. 
I know. But now they are filming again to catch the fallout from the affair. Wow. Um, here's my contribution about Lisa Vanderpump. Did you know that Lisa Vanderpump was in a movie co-starring somebody who won an Oscar? Was she? Yes. It, it, it is a crazy movie. Um, I'll give you one guess because you're not going to get it. Okay. It is uh, 1973's A Touch of Class, Glenda Jackson's mm. second Oscar, who is, as you know, a mean British actress who went into Parliament for a number of years. Uh, we, yes. When we had Alison Pill on the show, we talked yes, to... Yes, you asked her about Glenda. Yes, because uh, they were in uh, uh, Three Tall Women together on Broadway. Uh, Glenda Jackson, yeah, won the uh, Best Actress, and Lisa Vanderpump is her daughter in it. Uh, in the wow. yeah, very or very early seventies, <laughs> it is fucking crazy. You're, I, I was just walk, looking down the cast list, and it felt like I be, was being pranked, or you did it, or something, knowing I would be looking it up anyway. <laughs> I'm gonna start putting uh, <laughs> replacing best actress wins on um, Wikipedia with like random reality stars. Right, yeah, Hidden <laughs> Figures starring Siri from The Traders. Yeah, <laughs> Lisa Rinna won for Sentinel Woman. <laughs> I can see her doing the hua. Yeah, <laughs> she is kind of a living hua. Yeah, <laughs> actually, Harry Hamlin is sort of that energy too. Uh, anyway, that's the scandal. Tom and Raquel suck, but unfortunately, it's going to be really good for TV. And it feels bad saying it too because, like, you you, it's like when you're happy someone's making a breakup album. Yeah, right. you know, like the, the you're 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 um, benefiting off the misfortune of someone else, especially someone else who I actually do care about um but man what a hell of a tv season it's gonna be right by the way the breakup albums don't always pay off you know casey uh, musgraves i was just gonna say <laughs> read my mind yeah <laughs> two good songs otherwise uh, a little sleepy because yeah. you, you kind of want to sleep through a breakup it actually does make sense spiritually but yeah so anyway that's what you missed on glee <laughs> don't go to schwartz and sandy's restaurant by the way, they have another restaurant. The wildest part about it, too, is like Tom Sandoval issued like an Instagram statement that was like, please don't send hate towards the employees of my restaurant. They're just trying to get by. And people were like, can you apologize to your girlfriend? <laughs> yeah, weird. <laughs> Though I'm sure people would send that kind of thing. I, yeah, I'm on the fence about oh, that. Oh, of course. I mean, yeah. people were being on Yelp and stuff and being like, fuck this restaurant, fuck them. And, you know, I get it. But also, like, get another job? Yeah, right, right, right. You're a waiter in L.A. Oh, right. You're right. They've been at the same thing for years and years and years. Yeah. So, you know, if you're working at that restaurant, like, find a new restaurant to work at, maybe. All right. I don't know. Um, I think that's, I think that's everything. Yeah, so appreciated. Uh, somebody cheated on somebody and we screaming. That was the story. All right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's also just so it's just so cinematically fun because it's who you would the affair expect. was discovered yeah. mm-hmm. the affair was discovered because like a sexually explicit video was sent to Tom while he, he's also in a very shitty band uh, while Ariana was at his band's show on Wednesday night of last week so it popped up on his phone while she was in the audience watching his show wow and oh that's my how she god what. It's giving that Dixie Chick song where they're backstage at the bowl and she meets the other woman or something. (laughs) Another bad breakup album. I know. But listen, I would love it if um, Ariana and some of the girls on this cast, you know, enacted that Dixie Chick's 
song about murdering someone. Oh, Goodbye Earl, yes. Yeah, yeah. Goodbye Tom. <laughs> he will also be played by Dennis Franz in the video. <laughs> NYPD Blue, you don't hear about that show much anymore. Uh, it did, it did, was it great? Uh, who's to say? You know when it does come up? When people need a reason to, like, Ricky Schroeder will appear and do something crazy, mm. and we'll be like, former NYPD Blue actor Ricky Schroeder. That's like the only context it comes up in anymore. I will say that it is a shame that we as a culture have seen Dennis Franz's ass more than we've seen Aaron Taylor Johnson's. No, I, I, I'm alive one time. How can that be the truth? You know what I mean? It's upsetting. <laughs> Gen Z doesn't want to see sex on TV. Like, like show, show up NYPD Blue. Right. No, Sharon Lawrence was on a couch every week on that show. <laughs> uh, we have a packed episode of Keep It once again this week. Yeah. Um, first of all, Oscar season is coming to an end next week. Next week is the Oscars, which means this week is our pre-Oscars episode. We're going to share our ballots with you all. It's who we think is going to win best actor, best actress, best supporting, best director, best film, who we think is going to get slept. And we have the iconic Kerry Washington joining us this week. Here's a question about her. What hasn't she been in? I was looking through the Wikipedia. I'm like, this is too many projects. Going back to Ray. Ray star Kerry Washington. Django Unchained star Kerry Washington. Limited series diva Kerry Washington. (laughs) And our last 20 projects are just Reese Witherspoon's Instagram Live. (laughs) Which that that it that does count for the guild, yes, it does, it does. Uh, that's what we're actually negotiating. <laughs> <laughs> the WGA is negotiating Instagram lives from celebrities, uh, and we're gonna dive into our favorite acting performance wins ever. A topic that on my mind anyway. You know what sucks is normally I'd be like live tweeting the Oscars and I don't get to do that since I'm, you know, writing for them this year. So I have to, like, I just get to say a few jokes here on Keep It. So this is really me expressing my true artistic self for once and not, you know. You could tweet something like, ha, that joke I wrote was great. Just (laughs) at anything, whether or not it's true. Yeah. Be like, I wrote um, Michelle Yeoh's speech. All right, that's an angle I haven't considered. Sure, just start taking credit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, people do write some of these speeches. Obviously not those. I feel like if you win an Oscar, no one's written your speech. May- unless you're one of the people who like pulls out like a, I've written this beforehand. Maybe someone helped you with that. But most Oscar speeches are just people, you know, like breathlessly being like, I can't believe this happened to me. Right, right. Unless you're Brad Pitt, who weirdly had like six or seven like actual stand-up jokes every time he gave a speech that one year. Yeah, he he clearly um, had um, the Barstool Sports um, <laughs> <laughs> website writing writing for him. Uh, I, listen, I've I've written a couple of Glad Award speeches. Oh, have you? Yeah. So I've written some speeches for a few celebrities, and that will all be in my tell-all memoir. I'm gonna say you'll have to uh, divulge when we're off camera. Read you, wrote for you. <laughs> I, I, I hope it's multiple members of like pentatonics or something. <laughs> and also, um, when talking about scandals, last week Rolling Stone published an article about the um, nightmare that is the set of The Idol, Sam Levinson's new show that he created with The Weeknd and Lily Rose Depp. And we're going to get into that. 
and the clip he posted that was like blasting Rolling Stone too, which felt like an own on his part. Anyway, we'll get into it. Uh, all right, we will be back with more. Keep it. If there's one thing you should know about Keep It, it's to keep our wives' names out of your fucking mouth. <laughs> yeah, I, and by the way, if I'm ever married to a, a wife, know that I'm in crisis and probably can't be saved anyway. Uh, and if there's two things you should know, is that we are going to have some Oscar predictions for you every year. We bring it to you every ball. <laughs> Arguably every week. <laughs> Um, we, of course, are doing a Keep It Oscars ballot again this year, uh, and we've got some predictions. And by the way, if you're in town here in Los Angeles, I'll be on Love It or Leave It this Thursday, where I will be quizzed about the Oscars, heckled about the Oscars. John Lovett will, you know, wear a Kevin James-like baseball hat and snicker and look away. Or maybe a Tom Brown skirt. Who knows? (laughs) That's right. You never know with him. <laughs> He's like the laugh-in of podcast hosts. Never know who's what's going to come out that door. Yeah, <laughs> sock it to him. <laughs> uh, doesn't it seem quaint now when we start keep it? And there was like, oh, Lewis, they best actresses, nineteen sixty-four. Oh, uh, Julie Andrews. Yeah, no. Yeah. Then the entire audience was like, all right, we get it. He has a problem. All right. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but let's go ahead and predict. What's going to happen? All righty. Should we start with a supporting actress? Yeah. Uh, Can I tell you something? This is strange Mm -hmm. because it felt like Angela Bassett had the momentum going up into this moment, but they've Mm -hmm. spread the joy around. Like Jamie Lee Curtis ended up winning the SAG, which our actor's stupid. I'm sorry. She's not the best performance in that category. That's so weird. Um, I think ultimately, this is my like kind of commandment when it comes to Oscar voting. I think people ultimately pick what they think is the best performance. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. Angela Bassett wasn't good. I'm just saying she gets killed off kind of early in that movie. And mm-hmm. she's kind of reduced to one or two speeches. I feel like Carrie Condon is going to win it. Mm. Carrie Condon is my favorite performance in Best Supporting Actress. However, I still think Angela's going to take it. Yeah. Even though there could be a, you know, like a a silent majority that hates the fact that she's nominated for a marvel film right but oh i'm speaking right now sorry (laughs) it's not that silent but people love angela bassett and i think there's a louder majority (laughs) wow that is still angry about her what's love got to do with it oscar because who did she lose to (sighs) she lost to that that hick That backwoods Barbie, Holly Hunter. <laughs> and you know I actually love Holly Hunter. Oh, please. Uh, She's amazing. This, this, this is one of my favorite Keep It bits. Uh, a throwback. Uh, we're like Drag Race at this point. We're just referencing old episodes of Keep It. Right. Can you believe how funny we were that one time? That's, what, that's the theme of every Drag Race episode now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that um, Angela is still going to take it. My, I, I do have to say... Wouldn't you feel a little dicey about her having an Oscar for that movie? Yeah. Oscar winning Oscar winning acting movie, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Black Panther, what kind of for losers? What kind of for losers? Gary Oldman has an Oscar for The Darkest Hour. Okay, true. Which is a movie that was just dark. (laughs) Both hours of the film were dark. And also a lie, because it's much longer than an hour. That's true. (laughs) If it was a 57-minute caper, I would have been all on board. (laughs) 
It was actually several hours, and the whole point of the movie is you have to guess which of the hours was the darkest. <laughs> I'm still on the fence. That's art. Turns out it was the Oscars. Got it. Oh, brilliantly done. <laughs> right, supporting actor? Uh, best supporting actor. I'm going to go with Kihu Kwan. I think it has to be. Um, I think when you come away from that movie... First of all, there's like it's a bombardment of images, so you come away with sort of like a, a scatterbrain feeling. But what sticks out ultimately are Michelle's performance and his performance. And man, is he so winning in all of these speeches he's given. This is the one category really this year where I can't see it going any other way. Like the he's he's won everything, and also he's just so overjoyed. Like he clearly can't believe it. You know, there are a couple of narratives that like that this year. You know, when Brendan Fraser wins for. Um, on occasion, he seems to be freaking out. Can't believe he's there. But Kihi Kwan, I think, is the definitive. And, you know, it's, it's like Troy Kotzer last year. It's like you knew it was going to be him. Well, and listen, our generation's Daniel Day-Lewis, Barry Keoghan. Oh, <laughs> we do love him. This is his first nomination, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's in it for the long haul. Oh, yeah. I'm going to predict that. No, <laughs> he just has that thing where he appears on screen and you're like, well, this is unsettling. And it's just him looking yeah. at you. Although, you know what I would love from him? Like, a real, like, calling him, like, a Daniel Day-Lewis. Like, I like what he, he would switch it up too much. You wouldn't see Daniel Day-Lewis starring, you know, um, in Ghosted, a right. Skydance film presented by Apple. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not over him in uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. Just, they yeah. got the exact right actor for that role. Of, it, one of those things where they couldn't have possibly written it for him, but his energy is so... Um, casually gothic in a way that would yeah. be required. Yeah, but I mean, like, so, like, when Dan would switch it up for, like, Age of Innocence or something, yeah, right? right? You know, I'd like to see Barry in, like, a romantic drama. You want to see the Barry Keoghan 9, which I still can't believe Daniel Day-Lewis did. <laughs> what was he thinking, truly? What a crazy idea. But anyway, yeah, Best Supporting Actor is pretty much a lock, yeah. I feel like. I do, by the way, love Brendan Gleeson in Banshees of Inisherin too. No way he's, he's going to win, but I love, like, I feel like that movie only works because he's so committed to the insanity of the conceit, you know? That would yeah. be so unbelievable most of the time, the entire idea of the movie, and he was so fab. One of my favorite things about this award season, too, has been people discovering that uh, Donald Gleeson is his son. Oh, right. They don't put it together. I feel like there's usually a lot of actors with the same name who aren't related. And when you get into, like, the Irish actors, it's like, don't they all have that name? Right. No, I only learned recently that Ileana Douglas is the granddaughter of Melvin Douglas, two-time Oscar winner from HUD and being there. And, you know, Mm. but not related to, for example, Kirk Douglas and Michael Douglas. So sometimes you have to do the homework. And Melvin Douglas isn't related to Melvin Van Peebles. (laughs) You know what? That wasn't on my mind. But (laughs) All right. Best actress. I mean, it's one of the greatest contests in years, as we've discussed time and again on this podcast. And also, it's fascinating because obviously you think it comes down to Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh, who are like, by the way, best friends at this point. I always love seeing them pose together on red carpets and stuff. But then you have the X factor of all-time weirdo Andrea Riseborough and Keep It Legend, who, <laughs> you know, Into Leslie, a movie that I believe... I think just I saw. I think it was just, it was made for Louis Vertel. I don't know who else actually got to see that. <laughs> Julie Newmar saw it. <laughs> yes, correct, correct. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, it, it, you can't really calculate how meaningful that performance is in this group because she's not a contender at any other award show. So it mm. still feels like there could be a pocket of 
like ammunition for this performance. Like, oh, it should be represented in some way because I still think what goes underrated about this award show discussion is how the people who see To Leslie are obsessed with that performance. So I don't know how yeah. that's going to pair up metrically with Kate Blanchett giving a career best performance or Michelle Yeoh giving a gonzo, unexpected, very versatile performance. Right, because I feel like the, you know, the missing piece in all of this is the fact that Andrea was nominated for the Oscar because she had the groundswell of support from people within the voting academy. Correct, yes. And so they weren't voting for any of these other award shows that she would have been at. Um, so they could have, if they, it would be shocking if they were so um, gung-ho for getting her nominated and then also voted for someone else to win. Yeah, you know? no, that, that would be crazy. You know, like, oh, thank God you got in. I'm going for Ana de Armas now. <laughs> you were great in blonde. Yeah. Anna Girl, you were great in blonde, which, by the way, is maybe the underrated line in that song. But, well, by <laughs> the way, there's Angela not a Bassett. false note if, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I can't get over her saying Dolly D. Just, <laughs> she like, has a new kind of like Southern drawl when she gets to that part. I put Michelle Yeoh, um, but let me tell you. I love a crazy moment at an awards show. And honestly, I could see Angela Riseborough winning. I know. Me too. I could see Angela Riseborough winning, going on the stage, and then, like, everyone who uh, voted for her reveals themselves like Sparkus, and they're all <laughs> standing up and doing, like, a slow clap and staring at everyone else. No, it's, like, audience. militant, too. And you're like, whoa, I didn't even know. Whatever. Amy Madigan was here. Yeah. <laughs> uh all right, best actor. Another interesting category. I thought this was Colin uh, Farrell's to take for the longest time, but now, now I think I'm going to go Brendan Fraser. I feel mm-hmm. like the character arc in that movie is the most Oscar-like, which is to say he goes through it and then it ends climactically. Where I can't really say that about, for example, Paul Meskel, um, Bill Nye, lovely, uh, dignified performance, but you know placid compared to these other ones uh austin butler i guess would be the main competition but i feel like i don't and it is a biopic i i that's the main competition for me but i think ultimately it's going to be brendan i could see austin butler winning in my mind i'd for i'd i'd assume that maybe like austin butler was almost a lock and then the brendan fraser support that two of those would cancel each other out and colin farrell will win I mean, again, this is there are three acting categories this year where it's actually up in the air. That just never happens. Remember that year where it was just like Laura Dern straight through, Joaquin Phoenix straight through. I mean, I, yeah. I, the point of an award show is not that it's, you know, extremely surprising what occurs, but God, is it so nice when it actually does happen. I mean, I, I want a wacky fucking award show, okay? How do you top the slap? I, I would we, need lo- some cra- we need some crazy-ass wins. Just like, even, I feel like, the look on everyone's faces if Paul Mescal won, no, people right. would be like, yeah, they like him, No, you know? What if, no, everyone what, loves him. What if everyone just starts fanning themselves? Like, it turns out they're, everybody in the audience is hot for Paul Mescal, even like, you know, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. <laughs> uh, and plus, they're all white. They sure are. So, there's not even going to be any, you know, like, anger over, like, um someone who could have had like a historic win or something winning you know right yes which we of course cannot say for best actress where there could be a historic yeah. win 
Not that Kate, five... not that Kate Blanchett's third win wouldn't be historic, also, but not in the same regard. Yeah. Um, how many? How many actresses have three? You got your Ingrid Bergman, you got mm-hmm. Frances McDormand, Meryl Streep, um, and of course Catherine Hepburn, who was four. Ingrid Bergman, Mama. <laughs> that's a throwback to Isabella Rossellini being on our show. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's a good collection of women. How many men have three acting wins? It's Daniel Day-Lewis, Jack Nicholson, and then you got Walter Brennan, who won the first supporting actor win, and then he won 38 and 40. You haven't watched The Westerner recently? I read about that wild shit. He he, he won through, like, he won because of the fact that the... um, the extras union was able to vote for Oscars back then, right? Yes, that's correct. Oh, are you this is, are you quoting Michael Shulman right now? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, from his book Oscar Wars. Yes. Um, that is so wild to me. And then everyone was like, you know what? None of you are none of you are voting anymore. <laughs> but I think that is so funny because imagine extras could still vote. Right. I wonder what like petty resentments they have towards certain <laughs> actors. You know, we would learn a lot really quickly. My official vote is for Kate Blanchett. She is Tar. Tar has now this own like imaginary universe that we all live in where we're talking about what Tar would do, what she wouldn't do, what the meaning of the movie is. I feel like something about that movie really lingers and people want it to win something. And necessarily you would make Kate Blanchett the winner in that case. The way Tar has become like a part of pop culture is so wild to me. It's like really maybe the only it's been so long since a role in a film has truly sort of become like ubiquitous. Yeah, right. Also, you just, you're just like thinking about it. And in fact, what's weird is people talk about how that movie is kind of about quote unquote cancel culture. But I feel like people don't bring up the statement in the movie that I think actually um, conveys what the movie thinks about can- cancel culture, which is at the end when she's banished to the other side of the world to do this weird video game concert, she's on this riverboat tour and uh, she goes, can we swim here? And then the, the guy goes, Knows there, no, there's crocodiles. And he goes, they escaped from a Marlon Brando movie. And she goes, well, that was a long time ago. And he goes, they survived. And I feel like that's the quote on cancel culture. Like, even the crocodiles, the monsters find a way to survive ultimately. And Tar will, you know, land on her feet or land in the Everglades or wherever the crocodiles go. Lewis, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I know. It's, it's an awesome <laughs> scene, underrated scene. Yeah, uh, no, I, I I really think that, obviously, I've always thought that, like, if all you take away from Tar is cancel culture, like, where have all the English majors gone? <laughs> <laughs> My favorite folk song, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, read, let's read between the text. <laughs> uh, I think for best song and best foreign picture, you and I have the exact same pick. Oh, definitely. You've got... Uh, the RRR song, Not To, Not To, mm-hmm. and then All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah. It would have to be. God love that movie Close, which I talked about one week, but I think All Quiet on the Western Front is just too epic to ignore. It's the only thing people are talking about, yep. to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and sorry, again, Diane Warren. <laughs> <laughs> the streak remains unprecedented. This woman keeps getting nominated. It's like, it, it's I she keeps sticking. I mean, I don't know. She's a delightful person. That's part of it. We need someone to play Diane Warren in a Diane Warren biopic and for her to write a new song for that biopic, and that'll win. Oh, that would be nice. You have Who to wonder Diane how many Warren? votes she's actually getting every year. People like her. I, that's, that is the category I'm most interested in seeing the vote totals for. Like, how close has she honestly come? No. Um, okay, best director. Oh, I think it's going to be Daniels. 
I think people have loved their speeches this year. I think it's the, you know, it's the craziest directorial effort. I personally would vote Todd Field. Surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. But I think it's those two guys. I put Todd Field because... Ambitious. You're like Tar. I put Todd Field because for Best Picture, I have everything everywhere all at once. And what the Oscars loves to do is have the best director not win Best Picture, which they is They so love weird. splitting that up recently. That is a much more recent development. I think it has a lot to do with the um, way people vote for Best Picture. You know, it's not... You don't just pick, like, director and a picture. You rank all the Best Picture nominees and the way they eliminate certain ones and then add points to others. It's just likelier that those two categories will split. But like I said, I have everything everywhere all at once at Best Picture, but what do you have? I think I have to go with that ultimately, too. At one point, I would have said, like, All Quiet on the Western Front had the momentum. At another point, I would have said Banshees. But that's really it. And I feel like everything everywhere all at once really hits the joy button for people. Like, when you vote mm-hmm. for that, it's like, all right, this is an exciting, different kind of movie. Great performances therein. Probably won't be replicated anytime soon. So it really stands for this particular moment in time, which I think is something that's exciting to people voting for the Oscars. Mm-hmm. But I would not be mad at Top Gun Maverick winning. Okay, it's the worst movie in the category. You're crazy. <laughs> I call that movie Jennifer Connelly Runs a Nice Bar. <laughs> a tender bar, if you will. <laughs> Remember that? God, do I... <laughs> There's another podcast that's entirely about Oscar movies that don't make the final uh, countdown. But Tender Bar is one of my favorite movies where it's just, we were supposed to care for a second. We're like, all right, good for Ben Affleck. And then nothing. (laughs) Uh, But just like the crocodiles that escaped from the Marlon Brando film, (laughs) um, he survived. And he's back with (laughs) J-Lo. That's true. That's right. Leo representation or whatever the internet thinks. Yes. Uh, The internet and me. That's right. And us. <laughs> I've been brainwashed into <laughs> believing it too, yes. An all-Leo podcast. We should we should market that more. Yeah, to be honest. I'm surprised. Yeah, I can't believe that hasn't come up before. All right, I'll run around and scream at the marketing team and John Lovett after this. All right, a little later, Lewis and I will get into our top five acting wins ever. But before that, Kerry Washington joins us. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see... Footprints in the sand. That was when I carried you in my barefoot dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to barefoot dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I 
effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. (laughs) Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Our guest today is an actress, a director, a producer. And if we took the time to give you all of her credits, we'd actually be here all day. But (laughs) you know her from Little Fires Everywhere, The School for Good and Evil, and of course, as the intoxicatingly manipulative Olivia Pope on Scandal. Welcome to Keep It, star of the new series, Unprisoned, which drops this week on Hulu, the incredible Emmy Award winner, Carrie Washington. Oh my gosh. My inner crowd is going wild. <laughs> like, what an intro. That was amazing. Intoxicatingly manipulative. That's so good. I've never heard that description of her. I mean, so it good. is intoxicating because let me tell you something. Like, I don't know if you've noticed. Well, you probably have. You know, like, I feel like Scandal was so big when it was on, and now yeah. people are still talking about Scandal and rewatching know, it's it. Crazy. And it's she is just like a character on TV that you constantly want to revisit. Oh, that's so funny. Somebody asked me at a at an event two nights ago, I think, like, do you miss the white hat? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Um, It was really a lot of work, but she's so special. I'm so grateful to her. I'm so grateful to Shonda and the team of writers there for writing her, um, for letting her live in the world and that I got to play her. It just is, I don't know, it was life-changing for me, you know, on a lot of levels. This week we're talking about um, 
our Oscars predictions and stuff. And it occurs to me, mm. if normally if I turn on an award show, I can count on Kerry Washington being there and you know <laughs> presenting or something. And I was wondering, do you have just a favorite award show moment since you are now a veteran of them? Oh my goodness. My, okay. One of my favorites was at the time it wasn't my favorite cause it was so stressful, but it was early on in my career. Um, in the early two thousands when Ray came out, I think it was like 2005 mm. ish. Um, and Jamie Foxx and I were presenting together at the SAG awards and we were the first award up for the night. And I had this gorgeous polka dot gown that I was obsessed with. It had like a pink bow and I loved it so much. And we, I wanted to take it in, in, in at the waist. I wanted that like Audrey Hepburn cinch. Mm -hmm. And they did a little too much of the cinch and we zipped it up and the zipper broke. Mm. (laughs) And we were the first award of the night. And so I'm like standing in my apartment in West Hollywood with a broken dress. And I was like, what? And I had to rush to a tailor because there were no tailors available. I had to like go to my local cleaners and they sewed me into the dress at my local cleaners in West Hollywood. And then I I literally like got to the SAG Awards and was running down the red carpet, didn't get a single picture on the carpet, running down the carpet, running backstage, like all the way and was there just in time to present with Jamie. It was so fun. I don't, it just was like so exciting. It was such an exciting time. And he cleaned up that award season, too. So I, I believe that momentum helped he him. Did. Yes, yes. I mean, if there's if you're ever going to be in a situation that requires like moment to moment improv and being able to pivot and be on your toes, you want to be with Jamie because he's like the most talented human being on the planet. And he is always thinking on his feet. Mm. I would say one of the benefits, too, of you having been, you know, in almost everything, it feels like, is you've gotten to work with <laughs> So many great people like Jamie. And now you're working mm-hmm. with Delroy Lindo oh on um on prison. You know, like do you have some favorite um like actors who you would consider like Titans, you know, people you've been like, I've been on set with them and I've been like, w- I just want to take in um like knowledge for them, like something that you took away from the set or a conversation. I was doing um, this terrible movie, um, terrible movie, God Rest His Soul, Joel Schumacher directed this awful film called Bad Company, starring Mm. Chris Rock and Anthony Hopkins. (laughs) 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 And um, and, I mean, we we kept having to reshoot the ending because the movie was that bad to the point where like at one point we were shooting this big wedding scene at the end of the movie and we had to cut because a bus went by with a poster for the movie that we were shooting. Like it was that close (laughs) to when the movie was coming out. I was like, we got to get this in the can. Um, But I, when I was doing that movie, we were shooting a scene and I must have been like watching Anthony Hopkins and drooling. Like I just was so in awe of him. He's, he's one of the only people that I've ever been starstruck around, but he came up to me after his take and he was like, you have got to calm down. And I was like, what? And he, was like, I have, he was like, I have been acting longer than you've been alive. Relax. You will get there. You will get there. And I was like, okay, if you promise. Um, he's a Titan for sure. But I have to say Delroy truly is one of my acting heroes. Like mm-hmm. I remember I was in high school and we were reading the autobiography of Malcolm X. Um, and um, I we, we heard that they were filming in Central Park and my English class ran to Central Park to go meet Spike Lee and um, and watch them film a little bit. And I walked up to Spike and I was like, we're going to work together one day. And he was like, uh-huh. Um, and then- <laughs> But when you did, she hate came, me. 
I did. I did. I was like, do you remember when I came to you in Central Park? He was like, no. I was like, cool, cool, cool. Life-changing for me. No problem. But when the movie came out, that same English class, we went to go see it. And Delroy Lindo plays this character, West Indian Archie. And he is like, at the beginning of the film, to me, Malcolm X is like four movies in one. It has these acts. And the first act is like this, you know, zoot suit, drug crime, sexy, gangster part of the movie. And Delroy is like so hot, so sexy, so powerful, so dangerous. And then at the end of the film, he's in this much more naturalistic arc of the film, act of the film. And he plays somebody who's really hit hard times. And that arc, like to see him be that character on both ends of their lives and to for him to be believably the same human being at opposite ends of a life experience was just so influential for me. I was so impressed and so inspired. And I I just was like, I want to do that. I want to be able to do what Delroy does in that movie. So when I read this script and I, I came on as a producer and we were developing the project and talking about casting, I was like, you guys, there is one person that I see in the role as my father. And I, I really, I didn't know if we had a show if he said no. Um, and so when we we met with him, myself and the creator, Tracy McMillan, and we tried to play it cool, but inside I was like, he has to say yes. Um, and when he did, I was blown away. I mean, it's, it is such a privilege to get to work with him. I feel like every day I went to set with him, I became a better actor. Um, and, you know, they say don't meet your heroes, but to me, he's one of the people that proves that, statement wrong. Like he really, he's a hero who remains my hero and who I'm just so grateful to. Cause I know like this show is as special as it is because of him. Mm. Also, uh, I, I, I guess I would not intuitively put Delroy Lindo in this role at first since like watching him into five bloods. I mean, this is somebody who like runs yeah. the screen. I mean, like he's just right? so commanding in that movie. Um, what made you think of him immediately for this role? I think it's because he's so charismatic. You know, the show is about um, this man who is a returning citizen. He's a formerly convicted, um, he's a formerly incarcerated person who's being released and trying to re-enter society. And it's sort of about the challenges of being a formerly incarcerated person and the challenges of loving a formerly incarcerated person and the adjustment that it takes for everybody when somebody is, is a returning citizen. So, Tracy McMillan, the show is inspired by her life. She had a dad who was in and out of prison her whole life. And she always says that when people met her dad, they would say to her like, oh, I would have never thought he was formerly incarcerated. He's so charming and so nice and so kind and so warm and so polite. And part of why she wanted to make this show was to challenge people's assumptions about who goes into these systems, who gets caught up in these systems and why and how, and to kind of flip our assumptions and stereotypes. So I, what I really thought about Malcolm X, you know, I thought about the fact that Delroy is somebody who can play a career criminal, um, but also, but also has that charm and elegance that you love him and you believe that he could win over any room. Um, you know, he, this, the character, the actor had to have a certain level of sex appeal, a certain level of grace, a strength, but also a willingness to be vulnerable. You know, you see that in the five bloods, this ability to be like, to command the screen, as you said, but also to let his heart shine through. I mean, it's all, these are really complex ideas as an actor to embody, but I feel like he does it flawlessly. 
Mm-hmm. What I would also really say, too, is like thinking just about him playing your father on this, you know, thinking about, you know, like Joe Morton as your father on Scandal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you've been a part of so many shows, too, that have just sort of challenged like um, how we um, represent black people on television um, and in film. And it's so interesting because even your description of Delroy Lindo's character in this, it's like whenever there's a sort of like a white father who I feel like has gone to prison, we have so many of those stories. You know, they're always yes. charismatic. You know, it's like yes. a, like a paper moon or something. It's always like, well, there are the, you know, like they're a swindler. Yeah, like the that's sting. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, you yes. know, it's nice to see this lighthearted uh, as opposed to, you know, um, depressing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, I think also like, it's funny because neither Delroy or I is known as a comedic actor. Like we're both pretty dramatic actors, but the tone of the show is real dramedy. Like it's very, there's a lot of laughs and it's very like warm hearted. And I think that's because Tracy and her dad are so funny. They're just like really charming, beautiful people. And so I, I mean, I do love doing comedy. One of the most, the most fun weeks I've ever had in my life was hosting SNL. It was like that and my honeymoon are the best weeks of my life. Um, <laughs> but but I, I think, you know, when you're seeking truth in a character, it's such a blessing when part of that character's truth is their humor in real life. So we're doing, I think Delroy and I are both doing what we normally do, like looking for the authenticity and the humanity of the characters and trying to get to some sort of artistic truth. But there is a lot of joy in the relationship between these two. And that reminded me of my relationship with my dad, you know, who like is the star of my Instagram. Like we have a complicated relationship as most people do with their parents, but fundamentally there's so much joy and love and laughter when we can get through the stuff. Um, And I feel like that's true for Paige and Eddie on the show also. Mm -hmm. Speaking of your Instagram, I just saw that you did Gwyneth Paltrow's podcast and you both went to the same private school at one point we did a couple years apart she was yeah she was a senior when i was in middle school but we did do one production together because the middle schoolers were allowed to audition for the fairies in midsummer night's dream and she was queen titania of course you don't say um and so and so (laughs) we were in one production together it's the only time we've ever acted on stage or screen together was in midsummer Um, But yeah, but we did. We were at the same school. I also had to audition for her because she was the head of the acapella group um, uh, her senior year. And I had to audition like in eighth grade to go in on freshman year. So she was like part of the committee of deciding who got to be in triple trio because it was nine girls um, the following year. So I I had to audition for Gwyneth very early. Tell me you got in. (laughs) I did. Okay, thank God. God. All right. I was yes. hoping that wouldn't yes. end in tragedy. Yes. Otherwise, I would not be on her podcast. Yeah. Yes. To confront her. <laughs> Sing off on Google. Yeah. I feel like you are so good at social media because, for one, I feel like you, you were part of, like, the first wave of celebrities who, I guess, who had to tweet about their own show. Uh, actors who had to constantly watch themselves uh, every night and tweet out what was happening at Scandal. Um, And I have a question about that in that um, were you actually always just sort of like watching it live as it was happening? Were some of these tweets pre-planned? And what was it like having to, I guess, like, it's commonplace now for actors to do this. 
But so it's for- so funny. It's so funny you say it because we didn't have to do it. Mm. It's our fault that other people have to do it because <laughs> we did it organically. Like we loved, we loved our show so much. And so speaking of Spence girls, in addition to me and Gwyneth, there's a brilliant woman, Allison Peters, who I was at Spence with. We were at the same year. We're really good friends. And she convinced me to go on social. She was working. She had been working in social media. She was at the cutting edge of new media and we were girlfriends. And she was like, you have to get on. You have to get on. I was like, if you help me, I'll get on. So Allison Peters really was part of the mind trust that said like you should get on and i and when we had our first season we had this goal of having scandal be one of the most talked about shows because we were we were thought of as a risk um i'm saying that with air quotes for everybody <laughs> listening because there hadn't been a black woman as the lead on a network show in almost 40 years i wasn't even 40 at the time so in my lifetime i hadn't seen it And we were considered a risk. The network gave us a very small amount of episodes in the beginning. We had to prove ourselves to get more. And so Allison said it would be best if the whole cast was on Twitter. And I knew Shonda might be open to that idea because they had done some new media stuff around Grey's. And so I actually very Olivia Pope-like reached out to Shonda and said, I don't want to be the bossy number one on the call sheet. You should tell everybody to get on social media and you should tell everybody that we should be tweeting about the show. And she was like, great. So Shonda told everybody to get on Twitter and we started tweeting about the show genuinely because we loved our show. We were so proud of it. And we were scared that people weren't going to watch. We were a mid-season replacement with a Black woman as a lead. We were like, is anybody anybody even watch this show? Um, And so we were tweeting at each other, tweeting at the show, tweeting. And and our audiences in that very first episode started calling themselves gladiators. We adopted it. Mm -hmm. Um, And we just ran with it. Thank God that Allison Peters had that incredible idea. Um, that that ABC was able to build a social team really quickly um, and support that. And we went from being, you know, this on the bubble, tiny risk of a show to being literally a show that when Oprah came to interview me, she was like, well, I started watching the show because it's all people talk about on Twitter on Thursday nights. So, you know, it really was sort of what we did on Scandal that was so groundbreaking that forced all these other casts to be miserable um, and have to live tweet their shows. I would say same though, because like, I truly remember, uh, Lewis and I have a mutual friend, uh, my friend Riri. Uh, she was the one who, um, between season one and two, truly was like, everybody's watching this show Scandal. You got to start watching yeah, it. And I was yeah. catching up just because people were constantly talking about it yes. on Thursday nights. And that was the days when Twitter was, you know, not completely evil. Uh, so it was <laughs> exactly. fun to get involved in the conversation. On a exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it taught me how to watch myself. I was always an actor who like could never sit in a theater at a premiere because I hated to look at myself on screen. But I had no choice on Scandal. It was like you had to watch the show to be able to, in- to talk to people. We used to have Twitter parties where we'd all get together at one of our homes and like eat and hang out and tweet together. Or sometimes we'd be on set tweeting, like in between, literally they'd be like cut and we'd all pick up our phones and tweet for an hour and then go back to the scene. Like we were so committed. Um, and Allison and I used to share responses. There were some, because I knew people were going to be asking about fashion. Lynn Paolo and I worked so hard on those costumes. And so Allison, she would get lookbooks of every outfit on the show and every single designer. And I was like, you do fashion. You respond to all the fashion and beauty questions and I'll respond to like the real time plot stuff. Um, And we would just tag team and get in there. 
having tweeted, um, you know, throughout the run of the show, now I know um, your castmates, Guillermo, uh, he has Yes, a, and Katie. And Katie, yeah, they have their Scandal Rewatch podcast. Is there one episode or that you're, like, really sort of, like, you love that one? You're like, I would come back and talk about that episode because that's my favorite. Well, I am. I am in this season. I think I'm mm-hmm. maybe the last episode of the penultimate. I don't know. Um, but I did kind of, I, I'm, honestly, I could have talked to Katie and Guillermo for 20 hours. I just, I, we are all still so close. I love that cast so, 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 so much. Um, but I, there are, there are episodes that hold like special places in my heart, but I love them all. They're like my children. I love them all. I think the fantasy episode when Fitz and Olivia get married is really special because it's just mm. like otherworldly and, you know, it's a fantasy. And so I think it was fun to give that to the fans, um, knowing that Shonda was never going to end the series and that like neat bow. It was sweet to, to give them that moment. Um, and I love the lawn chair episode, Courtney B. Vance, so brilliant. Mm. Um, And that was sort of one of the very first episodes where Olivia was politicized, you know, where she really stood in her blackness, which I thought was so important and wonderful. Um, There's so many. I mean, I love those episodes when we came back um, and Jake and Olivia were on the island. You know, we had to, we flew secretly on a charter flight to the Bahamas to shoot those episodes because there was so much crazy like pop culture phenomenon around like, where is Olivia Pope? Where did she go? And so anytime we tried to book a commercial flight, it like leaked to the press. It was like a crazy thing. So we had to get a charter, fly to the Bahamas. My my now eight-year-old daughter was like months old, so tiny. Um, and we flew there and shot those episodes on a, t- on a private secluded island in the middle of nowhere in the Bahamas. It was crazy and so fun. Gilligan's Island. <laughs> yeah, basically. Basically. <laughs> Call me Ginger. <laughs> uh, uh, my last question is, I think of you now as one of these like super producer people, like, of course, Reese Witherspoon. And I'm wondering when you're one of these people, like, does that um, increase your appetite to watch every TV show and every movie? And what do you actually care about watching? I assume you watch a lot of stuff and you're like, yeah, that's not for me. And then you, a couple of like landmark TV shows or movies stand out in your mind as like, wow, that's important to me. And I'm glad I'm seeing that. Yeah. It's funny. The irony, right. When now that I'm like doing all this insane multi-hyphenate stuff is, um, is that you want to, I, let me speak for myself. I want to watch everything, but I have less time. Um, but I do, I try to stay, you know, abreast and aware of what's out there in the world because I want to be creating content that I love. And I, I, I find also for me that I have to be exploring different kinds of material um, because I'm a really curious kind of actor. Like I don't like to do the same thing over and over again. I really like to change it up when it comes to tone and subject matter and all of that. So, um, so yeah, I do. I watch a lot of children's programming, though, too. I'll be honest, because I'm a mom, so I watch a lot of kids' shows. So I think one of the things I'm most proud of right now is being a new regular on The Simpsons. That's, like, the one thing my kids think is cool. Um, but let's see. What am I really loving? Um, I'm, I, I'm very much into documentary series, um, and I'm blown away by the 1619 series that Hannah mm-hmm. Nicole did. And mm. I, I thought I was like, to be honest, I was like, I read the book. I listened to the podcast. Like, what else are you giving me with this? Like, what is, what, what's really, what's it really going to be? 
Um, but I, I started watching it and am blown away. I really, 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 really love it. Um, I really like If you like Hanks. docs, watch yes. Stolen Youth. Stolen Youth. Oh, is that the, the the cult at Sarah Lawrence? Yes, I'm. I have to watch that. Is it yeah. how many how many episodes Three. is it? Oh, Three. oh, that's so doable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's like a week of cardio. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, and you were saying hacks? Yes, of course, we love hacks. Yeah, yes, we uh, love yes. hacks. We love hacks. Um, I really. What is some other stuff I really love? Um, I mean, movies. I love everything everywhere. That just I mean, Michelle. Yeah, I was a goddess, just a goddess. Love her. Um, I'm excited about this new Amazon. What is this new Amazon series? I have to look it up. It's um, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Have you the guys seen like, it? I haven't watched it yet. I, I have, a, I, I've been hearing about it cause I have a friend who works at Amazon. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's like inspired by the beehive. So. Yes. Swarm looks really intense. And that Dominique, she's fantastic. Oh, Dominique Fishback. Oh, is, yes. Oh, I love amazing. her. She was the I Messiah. love yeah. her. She's been on your show. She has. Yeah, she has. Yeah, we she love has. her. Yeah, <laughs> love her. Love her. Yeah. Uh, I also want to lastly say that uh, not just film and TV, like I saw you in Race on Broadway. Mm. Uh, and you That's where I met my song. husband. Is it? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so come back to the stage. I'm in New York, so come back to the stage. Sometime. You know, I'm think I have an idea. I have I have an idea that I'm um, percolating about a return to to the stage. I'm really excited about it. Um, so I'm I'm hoping. Fingers crossed. I want to do the Denzel. You know, like every four or five years, come back and hone the instrument. And there's there's no better acting training than being on stage. There's just nothing to hide behind, you know? You don't get to, I like, mean, fix it in post with a score and an editor. Like, you just have yeah. to bring it. Without giving I mean, it away. Of, oh, go ahead. Without giving it away, is this a uh, play revival? <laughs> could, could we maybe guess the playwright? <laughs> you cannot... You, I will tell you, it, it is a revival, but I won't say anything else. Ooh, I yeah. feel like Ira and I could still deduce it. I feel like we I could, know. but yeah. <laughs> I will also say, speaking of Denzel, you know, like, because he's got that whole August play cycle, yeah. you know? Oh I'm like, I would love you at an August Wilson. How great would that be? There are like two roles you could play in Joe's Turner's Come and Gone. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, it would be the honor of a lifetime. He's our Shakespeare, you know what I mean? Like, he's our... Yeah. He's our voice. And I've never been able to work with Denzel um, ever. So that would be a joy. That would be such a joy. And also, it would be very cheap, right? Like in the credits, you wouldn't even have to change the last name. You could just flash Denzel, <laughs> then flash Carrie. You'd save money in the, you know, in the credit sequences. That's how credits work. They cost a million dollars per letter. That's right. Yes. I'm always thinking like a producer. Always thinking like a producer. <laughs> we were literally joking earlier in the episode about actors with like the same last name and wondering if people always think that they're related. Have you ever had people be like, are you? All the time. Yourself? All the time. Are you cousins? Is he your uncle? In the beginning of my career, is he your father? I'm like, no, no, and no. It's just that, you know, so many Black people got free and they were like, what's a good name? What's the name people like? Everybody likes George Washington. <laughs> it's just a name Black people chose. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for being here, Carrie. It was really thank a delight. Thank you. It's such a joy. I'm such a fan. So thank you for having me. And especially thank you for allowing me some space and time to talk about Unprisoned because I think it's such a special show and I really hope people tune in. 
You are rad as hell. Come back whenever yeah. you want. Mm, yeah. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm tuning in. I've had I've had family members in and out of prison. Uh, so I'm a watch. Listen, there's 80 million Americans walking around with criminal records. So this yeah. is a story that's about a lot of us. To be one of those people yeah. or to love one of those people, that's a lot of Americans. So come see yourself. There are also my favorite family members because they're kind of the funniest. <laughs> And like uh, most like hence the most tone fun of the to be show. around. Yes. Yes. Always. We all have that uncle. We all have that uncle. Yes. We do. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, Thank all right. you guys. Thanks Bye, so Carrie. much, Carrie. Such a pleasure. Bye. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Okay, so Lewis, I was watching uh, an Instagram story of yours the other week. Oh, and you, you, were you know my work. About... Go ahead. <laughs> I'm such a fan. Phoebe, <laughs> uh, you and Azealia Banks, long Instagram stories. <laughs> <laughs> my peer, Azealia. <laughs> will, will you see that dotted line? And it's only a speck. Lewis is talking about movies. He's answering questions. That's right. From God knows who, by the way. Nice people, I'm sure. Uh, you were recently talking about how um, someone had compiled a list of favorite Oscar-winning performances. Yeah, or actually uh, how there wasn't a list I could find that was easily searchable. Oh. Yeah, it was, really bothers me. Yeah, and so I was like, why don't we make our own? Yeah, that does seem... Um, Helpful. We're always helping the culture. You know what I mean <laughs> with this podcast. Yeah. So uh, we both but, picked our f- five favorite Oscar-winning performances. And actually, on my Instagram story, I was talking about how I think if you're being fair, generally speaking, if you're listening to the best of all time, you have to stack your list with female performances because the demands on an actress in a movie that is naturally or that is centered on her, they have to be way more emotional. Like there just aren't that many emotional actor wins like for example casey affleck in uh manchester by the sea he you know is like a a sort of stony person at the end he has a kind of vulnerable moment but that's not really the kind of performance that we normally you know it's usually like iconic and um 
you know, aloof and dangerous men who get these, you know, Oscars. Maybe sometimes they're real life people, but you just don't get the kind of emotional, you know, Nicole Kidman weeping performances that uh, yeah. in best actor categories. So, and I love him in that movie. You know, um, this I, I told you before uh, we started recording. Uh, this is going to be our problematic episode, uh, <laughs> talking about some of these wins We're here due for, for me. One. He's he, he's not on my list of top five ever, but. Um, I love that performance from him just just because it is different for a man. Right. You know, you don't, you don't get a performance like that. Uh, and the scene with him and Michelle Williams Whoa. was just was fucking heartbreaking. No, uh, I've said it before, Michelle Williams, one of the great scene partners ever. You know, if you yeah. if you if your character uh, does something to wrong her, woof, she is going to erupt volcanically into like Tears Mountain. So <laughs> I speaking of Michelle Williams. I was so upset that I saw Sweetie Todd on Broadway um, the day after her. Oh, you missed her. Yeah, missed her. Which, by the way, amazing production. Josh Groban is fantastic, and I was not expecting this from him. Oh, no, and, he was so good in that uh, Natasha Pierre, whatever that thing was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, come, from a, come From Away, Home From Away, <laughs> Go home Away from Boys. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> Um, uh, just go away. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so, Ira, what is your... We'll go through your list first. What are your five favorite Oscar-winning performances? My first one is my girl. You could probably guess who this is. Mm, Whoopi Goldberg? No. My girl, Angie. Oh, and Girl Interrupted. Girl Interrupted. Angelina Jolie, Girl Interrupted. This is a movie I think a lot about because one of my favorite albums in the past couple of years, Amy Mann's Queens of the Summer Hotel, is uh, based on... Uh, girl interrupted the memoir uh in the movie angelina jolie plays a kind of character she like almost has not played one time since like the brutally like caustically sarcastic uh seen it all girl who's also a fucking mess i just miss that side of her you know that like real side eye oriented angelina jolie yeah, I will say like obviously she's a megastar now uh, but i will say the one thing that happened post Brad Pitt was I feel like she lost her edge. Yeah. yeah e- even like the humor in a way. Like give me yeah. Angelina like lacerating me with a one-liner. She is just like mm-hmm. dicing those girls up in that movie. And even on a red carpet, you know, she was a celebrity who had an air of danger to her. Totally. And it, in a real way that that didn't feel manufactured the way that like Megan Fox and like Machine Gun Kelly feel. Right. You know? And now we know that danger is largely due to her father, John Voight. And we're glad yes. she, she escaped <laughs> from his grasp. Okay, what's your fourth favorite performance? I'm sorry. Um, oh, wait, that was number one. Oh, very good. Oh, your favorite. All right. Awesome answer. Yeah, that's my favorite. Uh, my second is... A man. Oh, this is too bad. Should I leave? Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, um, Kerry Washington and I have this in common in that we love this man, but my second is Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs. Oh, you, it's so interesting. Like, if you're compiling a list of the best best actor performances, I don't think you can get around including that. One, it's obviously a really memorable character, but two, it surprises me because he's just not in the movie that much. You know, I think it's something like 20 minutes altogether he's in Silence of the Lambs, but the way that character is played, the like, he's clearly, first of all, he plays the genius component of him so well, Mm -hmm. but then just the way he is clearly getting under uh, Clarice's skin is so well done. He really, Anthony Hopkins is like from a better planet. 
I mean, he just has that like <laughs> refined quality, but then also just a piercing straightforwardness, like a, and, and a vulnerability too. I, I can't even explain him. And by the way, if you had said the father, that would easily fit in my top five all time best actor winning performances too. And I was thinking about him too because there was uh, a tweet where someone said, "Name a um, name a great performance from an actor where he isn't screaming." And that is definitely that. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, you, so, can, you can kind of compare that to uh, Meryl Streep and The Devil Wears Prada, where mm-hmm. one way to play it is to be extreme, you know, like a, a cruel harridan type. But she played it so subdued that it was, for, first of all, way more devastating and two, way funnier. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. she didn't win for that performance, but yes. My third is a throwback. Oh, how far back are we going? We're talking 50s. Uh, hold on. I, I should be able to get it. Is it a woman? Yeah. Vivian Lee? Streetcar. Yes. Yes. Great answer. Absolutely. She is so fucking good in that movie that, that it's like when you think about like iconic characters like we were talking about Lydia Tarr like someone like that it's just like Blanche Dubois from the moment that Vivian steps on the screen it's just like she like has you in a chokehold no she's like a, a she has a vulnerability about her but there's also like a scary component to her just who is this person like w- what is her purpose in life she's like this this void this black hole and uh her interactions with the the other actors who are spectacular, namely Marlon Brando and mm-hmm. Kim Hunter, who also won. Uh, it, it's like the the pairing of his acting style and her acting style is just the unexpected peanut butter and jelly of the ages. Just you would never think those two would work so well together, but that conflict there really makes that play sing, and also makes that play seem unquestionably like the best thing Tennessee Williams has ever done. Absolutely. And I re, re I like rewatched that on a Delta flight recently. And it was it's still s- such a hot movie. Yeah. Too. Potent movie. Yeah. What's your fourth favorite? Okay, so this one's a bit of a cheat because it is a tie. Okay. But they're both from Woody Allen films. So I feel like I'm gonna lump them together. I think that's also this- fair because those performances are similar. Like they're going yeah. for the same thing. They play the same function in these movies. So can you think of they're both women? Yeah. Can you think of which? I think women? I have it. I think I've got them. Yeah. Both of them. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Diane Weist and Bullets Over Broadway and Penelope Cruz and Vicky Cristina Barcelona. You have the second one right. Oh, damn. Diane Weist was. Oh, D- Diane Weist and Hannah and her sisters? No, it's Kate for Blue Jasmine. Oh, oh, oh of course, of course, of course. Oh, my God. I mean, that speaking of, it's my, like Streetcar 2, Blue Jasmine. That is my favorite of Kate's wins. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, that, see if you're comparing it to The Aviator. That's just not a, a win I like in general, let alone in her catalog. <laughs> um, she's, yeah, having it right after Streetcar, just sort of like, they're they're sort of like companions to each other, obviously. Uh, Blue Jasmine is just Streetcar Named Desire. It's just, Kate is so mesmerizing in that film. Uh, and then Penelope Cruz, I mean, should have won for Valvera. But this is, she's so good this movie and really just ratchets that movie up to um a dramatic sort of like cinematic level when before it was just sort of like a cute rom-com yeah and yeah scenic etc but yeah there's something about that performance where she really ratchets up the tension like for rebecca hall for uh scarlett johansson like really bring something out of those actors in addition to being just hilarious 
Yeah. Um, and so my fifth one, this is a man. So I'm angry. And I know, right? <laughs> uh, I'm going to be controversial um, because I did want, I did want like more actors of color on my list anyway. And I do love this performance. And I'm going to say, I'm going to go against the grade of everyone always saying that um, Denzel was just handed this Oscar. Okay. But I'm putting trading day. Interesting, because Glory would have been, I mean, it it speaks to me more just as a crowning, like I say, oh, here comes the next great act. You know, it's like equivalent of like My Left Foot for Daniel Day-Lewis or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Glory is one of those kinds of movies. And I thought about My Left Foot um, for that too. Um, But let me tell you, I just think that he is, when you talk about like a different kind of performance that a man gives um, that has won, I think there's a lot more going on in that training day performance mm. than like people want to give credit to. Yeah. You know, just because they think he should have won for Malcolm X. And he should have. Um, but I love that performance. It's in the category of, I mean, the Malcolm X one is in the category of like, I would have loved to have Daniel Day Lewis on this list in my top five if he'd won for Phantom Thread. Oh, God. Um, if Easily he, my favorite if, Paul Thomas Anderson movie. If um, Philip Seymour Hoffman had won for The Master. Yes. My other favorite, Paul Thomas Anderson. Like, he is a person who has given us amazing roles for actors um, and rarely been, you know, rewarded for it. I think you also pinpointed Uh, something that is interesting to me about acting wins, which is I feel like actresses are likelier to win for the correct thing. I think we give men a lot of the time the finally win, you know, the, the Paul mm-hmm. Newman in the color of money or, uh, Al Pacino in scent of a woman. I feel like for some reason, like they don't just like, like Robert De Niro in Godfather part two, that is the rare case of someone who was like a master getting it early enough. And at the correct time, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's all, the uh, only other one other person that I would say is like that, who almost took the Denzel spot on the list is number five is Sean Penn for milk oh no i remember seeing that movie and just not knowing he had that in him even though he had been heralded as this you know one of the great act you know one of these people alongside river phoenix and uh Mm -hmm. you know these towering people who early 90s were in all these movies but that was harvey milk give me a break i mean like you watch footage of harvey milk and it's like he's utterly recreated when mickey rourke lost that year you know he had this sort of underdog flair people were excited for him coming back he was a, a big name around the time Sean Penn came out too. You could not help but still root for Sean Penn. It's just an amazing biopic performance, and I know there's a real pushback against biopics and how they seem like bait and how we always give them but the that's wins. Such a you know, sensitive performance, yes, heartwarming. It's in direct contrast to him doing shit like I Am Sam, right. Also, I'm sorry, uh, that was a faggot. I'm sorry. Every <laughs> once in a while, the straight people figure it out. I don't know. Uh, but that is, I mean, we talked about Malcolm X, we talked about milk, like that, that is how you do biopics. Yes. Um, my list, we'll, uh, we'll go through it quickly because they actually are grouped together pretty well. My okay. fifth and fourth favorite are Sandy Dennis and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and Elizabeth Taylor and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. First of all, mm. something I love just about that movie um, is that it's so ripe for Oscars contention because everything fits exactly where it belongs. The supporting actress is a supporting actress. The lead actress is a lead <laughs> actress. And there's four actors. They belong exactly where they belong. They're all nominated. Um, it's just a movie 
I just love movies that, first of all, take place in one location. I like that feeling of like, you know, theater. You know, we're stuck yeah. someplace. What's going to happen? There's no bombast. There's no, um, you know, there's no literal explosions going on. Well, and that play and film are supposed to feel claustrophobic anyway. So it makes sense that you're in the house the entire time. Yes. And the way Mike Nichols films it, the confrontational um, camera shots, how you're always so close up on just a bleary-eyed, um, exasperated, complete asshole Elizabeth Taylor or a completely drunk, bats-in-her-belfry weirdo that Sandy Dennis is. <laughs> there are just some people who, when they get on screen, a part of what you're doing is studying their legitimate weirdness that they cannot help. And, a lot, and they somehow find a way to channel it wonderfully into characters. Somebody I would say this is true about is Mia Goth. You know, just she's on screen or like, <laughs> what is wrong with her? Or what is right about her? Like she has this like weird genius quality and also this unsettling quality. And Sandy Dennis to me is one of the original actors who was, who was kind of a phenomenon at the time. She had won two Tonys prior to the um, being in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And she was on the cover of Time Magazine and with the caption, the girl in the $6 dress, I believe, there was just this like mystique about who this person was, this theater actress. She's in so many other great movies. I love Up the Down Staircase, The Four Seasons. But that, to me, is the definitive supporting actress when Elizabeth Taylor's among... I mean, after winning in Butterfield 8, where it was largely considered a gimme win because she was ill and we didn't know how much Elizabeth Taylor we would have. She would survive another 40 years, by the way. Then we got this performance, which is like a, fuck you, I am one of the greats of all time. I'm not just a star, I'm an actress. Uh, my third so girl in a seven dollar dress, seven dollar dress. And, yeah, uh, and I'm looking at this Time magazine, and it is, it's one of those like, it's one of those sketches of her. It, it, she she look she looks like a um she looks like an aged Gerber baby. <laughs> but by the way, that's what she is anyway. Just like there's something like weird and kind of insect like about her appearance. You know, mm-hmm. that's like also very pretty. So that kind of beguiling thing is just a uh, part and parcel with the thrill of Sandy Dennis, who normally when I film this at home and not in the studio as I'm now, there's a picture of Sandy Dennis over my shoulder that you can see. Look it up on YouTube. Uh, my third favorite performance is Maggie Smith in the prime of Miss Jean Brody. Bring this p- performance mm. up all the time. Stop me if I've told you this. There's a young actress in that movie named Pamela Franklin, who uh, is the assassin of Miss Jean Brody. She's one of her students and then decides that Miss Jean Brody is an egotistical asshole and calls her out and basically ends uh, Jean Brody. I looked this actress up. Her family runs a bookshop in West Hollywood, right next to like the sweet green I usually go to. I was like, what if I just walked in there one day? I was like, is this real? Like they're they're still around? Walk in there. Met her whole family. They were just there. Pamela Franklin's <laughs> was just hanging out in West Hollywood. But anyway, Maggie Smith in this movie. How long till they asked you to leave? <laughs> <laughs> Sir, you're frightening. Uh Maggie Smith is somebody that everybody loves and it has a familiar style and, you know, way with a one-liner if you know her from anything from Harry Potter to uh, Downton Abbey. Uh, just a thrilling and, and classically um, just a viperish actress. Just there's something about her where, like, the delish, that delicious quality we're talking about with Angelina, the way, like, words roll off her tongue is just, like, inimitable and correct. In this movie, she plays a, an, uh, a teacher who is obsessed with having her students worship her. And as the movie rolls along, kind of like Char, you realize all the problems in this situation. Oh, she's a fascist. Oh, she can't be challenged. 
And then eventually there's her undoing. Actually, among Best Actress wins, this is the most like Tar of any other uh, movie in uh, Oscars history. So Miss Jean Brody. And then my first two perf- uh, best performances are Vivian Lee in Gone with the Wind at number two and Vivian Lee in A Streetcar Named Desire at number one. Guys, look, she was stunning. She could do anything. And then she up and cracked in half in the 60s. I mean, it just killed her. She, it killed her to be that talented. <laughs> that is what happened to her. <laughs> Uh, it was so good. We had one that uh, matched up with each other, and I, I, I just can't imagine fighting it. It's just such, it's a bewitching performance. You're not just watching, uh, you know, a woman sort of go through it and fall apart. You're watching a really cerebral, intense, uh, uh, fearful woman having to contend with the the monstrousness of Marlon Brando, the surprisingly libidinous Kim Hunter. Just the forces that are around her at any given moment and the forces she brings, it's such an awesome mix. So watch The Streetcar Named Desire this weekend before the Oscars. All right. Well, we'll be right back with Keep It. And we are back with our favorite segment of the episode. It's Keep It. Lewis. Yes, Ira. What's going on? All right, well, I deigned to watch the new Chris Rock Netflix special. Now, let me tell mm. you something before I tear into what I'm saying, keep it to. I want to say I did laugh when he made fun of a particular subject that I think more comedians need to get back to making fun of, which is pop culture. When he gets yes. into a segment where he says, when did Snoop Dogg become the new Morgan Freeman? And talks about how he's <laughs> in every commercial. I'm like, yes, we all have this in common. We all are absorbing these actors we these celebrities like it's it's i don't think it's vapid to talk about celebrities it's literally what we have in common you know these other people so i really support that my keep it is to the first 10 minutes of this uh, special where he literally rails against wokeness and then tries to tell you he's not against wokeness and then says people are addicted to not opioids but attention again i brought this name up before can't you hear when you sound like bill maher can't you hear it? Because I can. And also, it's like, just do the math on yourself. Like, you're in your late 50s, and there's a particular OK Boomer thing that is conjured when people talk about uh, cancel culture in a certain way, and that's what you sound like. It was like down the line, the cliche of someone having a problem with other people having opinions and trying to pretend that those random people, whoever they are, that he never really identifies, are obsessed with bringing, I guess, people like him down. And it's just like, it, it's just lame. It's, I, I'm sorry. I know that's not a word we use anymore, but it's just, can't you hear yourself? Can't you hear yourself? It, he sounded like the old man at the barbershop who is just going on. And I'm like, it's also so uncomfortable to watch in the beginning because he keeps telling you that people get triggered by jokes and that, like, he doesn't want to do any of that, but you're just waiting for him to say, you know, like, something about trans people. <laughs> right. You know? I'm like, I'm like, what is happening here? Um, I was upset for a lot of different reasons, mostly because of that. Um, I'm upset with how, one, he's just, like, a lot of it just seemed to be, like, attacking black women for no reason, but that's sort of been a part of his career. Um, you know, bad hair, um, sorry, sorry, uh, good hair, bad hair is the, um, the movie about, um, 
Medusa. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it, it just seemed to really be sort of punching. I guess it's not punching down, but it's like the Meghan Markle segment was so fucking weird. It's like, it's yes, we're talking about pop culture, but I, and some of the observations were funny. I mean, like, obviously, like, Megan being like, I didn't know the royal family was racist is funny to me. Yeah. But the way he went about it just felt icky to me. And also, I hated that it basically seemed like a stand-up set primed for Fox News and a conservative crowd. Now. Yes. Because yes. the Daily Mail is using that to be like, see, we were right about Meghan Markle. Which, meanwhile, the Daily Mail's article includes all the digs at Meghan Markle, but none of the digs that Chris Rock makes about the royal family being racist and investing in slavery. Yeah. Um, like, uh, investing in slavery like they were on Shark Tank, which was another <laughs> thing I laughed at. Again, by the way, a pop culture joke. He had a whole thing on the Kardashians that I thought was pretty good, and I never thought I needed to hear another word comedy-wise about uh, the Kardashians. Um, but also even like, so in the segment we were talking about where he's like reeling against wokeness and how being a victim is a way to get attention. I mean, down the line, annoying, but in that segment, I also felt like he was using his old literal voice, like trying to do the, bring the pain, screaming at the audience Mm -hmm. thing while also being on this annoying tear. And in a way to me, it felt like he was imitating himself as opposed to actually using, like expressing something authentically you know like, like the way he would use his voice to say the words mary and barry you know like yeah. trying like trying to do that again but with like far uh less interesting material now if i want to talk about someone miming pop culture to a really hilarious effect and also impersonating chris rock everyone should watch marlon wayans new comedy special really god loves me on hbo max it is told in three parts and it is about the slack Oh, get out. But it describes how all three of those people involved have wronged him in some way. (laughs) And that the convergence of the slap happening to all three of them is a sign that God loves him. (laughs) He talks about when he was first in, like, I'm going to get you, sucker. And then, like, he was going to be playing um, the Rip Man who um, Chris Rock plays. But Chris Rock was this up-and-coming comedian, and his brother gave that role to Chris Rock and then made um, Marlon, like, bystander number two. (laughs) And talks about how, like, Chris Rock used to heckle him, make fun of him, like, stole a girl from him, like, on a red carpet, would just, like, basically, like, mock him all the time. And so when he saw him getting slapped, it was great. He talks about how he knew Jada Pinkett when they were both younger, but he was almost sort of like her gay best friend because she never saw him as a potential, like, boyfriend. Got it. Um, But by the way, this dovetails nicely with my theory. Talk about pop culture. We have it in common. Like, how fascinating this is that we already have opinions on this situation, and you can add this, you know? And he's making fun of Will Smith, talking about how, you know, like, White people saw Will Smith as, like, a savior. He's the only black person who saved the world in movies. Uh, And so, like, white people were more upset about Will doing this than black people were. And it was, it's it's just, it's about the slap. It's about pop culture. Everyone already knows all of the um, arguments from this situation. And so the audience is cracking up because they're getting 
commentary on it, but they're also getting commentary from someone who has a personal relationship with all three people involved. Yeah, and I interesting. Think it's, I think it's really fucking funny. Also, Marlon Wayans is 50, and he is gorgeous oh yeah i i interviewed him at a junket once for some terrible movie and i was i actually it like kind of took my breath away like you just think of the weigh-ins as you know a collective like yeah they're all really funny lo and behold he's hot too ira what is your keep it this week my keep it goes to sam levinson you you don't fucking say what a story (laughs) first of all keep it to sam levinson for um Whatever Ursula contract he has Zendaya um, <laughs> <laughs> locked up in. <laughs> stole her voice or something. Yeah. I don't know. But free her. Even though I do still love Euphoria. So I, I will watch season three. But fuck. Rolling Stone put out an article last week about um, The Idol. Which is his new TV show. It's a new TV show for HBO, created with The Weeknd, also starring Lily Rose Depp. Um, the whole the whole promo for it was always annoying because it was like, it was being touted as from the sick and twisted minds of Sam Levinson and The Weeknd. And it turns out they are twisted. <laughs> yeah, normally First that means all, like, oh, you wear a kooky hat sometimes, like Tim Burton. <laughs> From the twisted mind of Eli Roth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the movie sounds like an Eli Roth film at this point. It was supposed to be about Lily Rose Depp, uh, who plays a pop superstar named Jocelyn, um, as she navigates the secret seedy underbelly of the music industry and falls under the spell of Tedros, a mysterious owner of a popular L.A. nightclub who secretly runs like a cult, a sort of like Nexium in Scientology. Okay. So last April... The director, April Simons, uh, who did The Girlfriend Experience and She Does Tomorrow, like, suddenly exited it with 80% of the six-episode series finished. Sam Levinson decides to toss out much of this, like, $75 million project and does reshoots. Makes it seedier, adds in more nudity, ramps up the sexual content, like, makes it a lot more depraved and about, you know, how, like, Hollywood preys on, like, sex and depravity. And it's mm-hmm. like... Okay. Lurid, as we used to say. Yes. We've seen this. It's it's the end of Babylon. <laughs> Which, by the way, is still playing. Um, yeah. <laughs> the credits have been rolling for about six months. Yeah. I have to dip out uh, to do the podcast, but I'm going to go and finish Babylon <laughs> right after this. Um, it's just like, it's everything that you sort of would expect from the person who's created Euphoria. Yeah. Um, but now it's... That's what happens. Euphoria was a success. And now, what? He's able to hold HBO over a barrel to just do whatever the fuck he wants on this set. And it sounds like a fucking nightmare. And then The weekend, in response to Rolling Stone's article, releases a clip of him, Lily Rose, and Dan Levy, who's playing um, like their agent or something. Yeah, what a weird third to get person to... to be in this scene. Yes. <laughs> I'm, sure he, I'm sure he saw that clip circulating and was like, why am I in it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a nice no, gay guy no who's mostly in me. Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He's, he's just, he's hosting that brunt series. Yeah. You know. Keeping it cute. Yeah. Anyway, the clip that The weekend shared, not from Dan, but from Abel and Lily Rose, 
some of the worst acting <laughs> I have ever seen in my life. And the scene is them, you know, Dan suggesting to them, oh, do you want to do this Rolling Stone cover? And him being like, oh, isn't Rolling Stone over or something? So this was released as supposed to be, you know, this like gotcha, gotcha yeah, mm-hmm. against Rolling Stone. Like, we already think you're irrelevant in our show. It's like, okay. The whole conversation wasn't about the relevance of Rolling Stone. It was whether or not um, Sam Levinson turned uh, the set of The Idol into Epstein's secret island. Right. <laughs> also, it's like he just couldn't resist. You know, he, you, you get the word that Rolling Stone did this article, and he's like, oh, we do happen to have this one scene where I say something rotten about Rolling Stone. Like, that will work. But it's it feels like it adds up, and it could be a legitimate response, but... It just doesn't matter at all. There's nobody in the universe who's sitting around being like, Rolling Stone is the most important news uh, magazine that's ever existed. I mean, literally Shaka Khan just went on a tirade trash. Oh, my God. We could do a whole episode on that Shaka Khan episode. She was fucking fabulous. (laughs) I hate that she tweeted When she came for Joan Baez. Oh, my God. (laughs) I hate that she tweeted an apology because you know what? I love Mary J. Blige, but she was right about that sweet thing cover. Yeah. (laughs) She would introduce it at shows, be like, here's the son that Mary J. Blige fucked up. Amazing. <laughs> uh, it's it, it was just such a bad misfire t- tweeting that um, clip out. Because it felt like a one person at a party who's seen, like, one movie and and is trying to use that reference to, like, you know, uh, to, like, make conversation with other people. It's like, we're not even talking about that. Right. No. Um, also, fortunately, I have to say about Sam Levinson, once upon a time, I was fooled into thinking he was rad because he dated uh, Ellen Barkin, an actress mm. who was in a movie he did like, years and years ago called Another Happy Day. And then, of course, his father directed Ellen Barkin in her debut in Diner. And I was just sort of um, enthralled with that whole situation. Anyway, free Ellen Barkin mm. in case she isn't freed. Yeah, But wasn't that more like a Sam Taylor Johnson, Aaron Taylor Johnson relationship? Could be. I feel like he was in college when they dated. Yeah, he was youngish. He's like our age. So yeah, yeah, he must have been yeah like in his twenties when that was going on. Yeah. So listen, I've known Sam Levinson was a terrorist since the Euphoria premiere, which I was at, um, because obviously the series is inspired by um, his own recovery yes. um, from drugs and alcohol. But you know how like someone will come and introduce something at a premiere, uh, talk for a bit, right? He talked. For more than a bit. No. Uh, he talked s- mm. for a long ass time at this premiere. Uh, <laughs> Sam and I look over at each other and we're like, is this still going on? And by the way, so you hadn't seen the episode yet. We hadn't even seen it yet. We oh, hadn't even seen the premiere. He's like, talking about his recovery and talking about like, you know, his dad's trust in him. And like, okay, yeah, Barry Levinson. I will always love him for doing the Pushing Daisies pilot. <laughs> no, that's it's like when I went and saw Gene Dealman finally and the DP came up and talked for like a half hour beforehand. I'm like, you you do know that I'm about to sit here for three and a half hours, right? <laughs> uh, anyway, Sam Levinson, terrorist. Tough, tough. But I'm still going to watch The Idol. I, I'm i intrigued. <laughs> Not by the acting, but I'm intrigued. No, I mean, well, I'm also interested in the music. Because as you know, I do love The Weeknd. Although I will say, his latest live album recorded at the SoFi Stadium in L.A., um, I was sad that I had missed the show, but not so much after hearing this. Oh, really? I was like, when, when he released that clip, I tweeted out, baby, keep singing. And now I'm like, baby, keep producing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it, weird when people would put out a live album that's not 
good because they have I'm sure they record so many dates. Like, why is it bad? Baby, I want to take out anything I said about Ariana DeBose huffing and puffing at the bathtubs <laughs> because he, he he was blowing all the little pigs' houses down on that stage. And it the sound, stick the peddler, sound, the brick peddler, yeah. <laughs> the sound, too. Like, it sounds like it was screen recorded off an Instagram story. Wow. If is... the mixing is bad, I was like, this ain't homecoming. <laughs> Why don't you write, write for spin anymore? <laughs> How about that? Why don't you get your ass in a seat and write for Blender? <laughs> Watch out, Chuck Klosterman. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's our show this week. <laughs> Next week, we've got the Oscars. And then we'll stop talking about the Oscars for a little while. But as you know, I have a syndrome and we'll bring them up again soon. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for the movies that drop after the Oscars happen. Oh, yeah. Because uh, there's, there's always like a couple movies where someone like, there's always a couple of movies that maybe people will start talking about, oh, this has Oscar buzz. Like, this could be a contender. And then we forget about it by October. Right. No, we just need something to talk about, and that movie happens to exist. Like, you know, Scream mm. 6, it's all you, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot wait to see Scream 6, and I cannot wait to talk about it, but we'll obviously wait a while to talk about it um, because we don't want to spoil it for people. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, thank you to Kerry Washington for joining us. Um. Shout out to whoever is giving you the edited versions of Keep It where we are nice people. (laughs) (laughs) She she watches the Snapchat show. Yeah, it must be the Snapchat, yeah. (laughs) All right, we'll see you next week. Don't forget to follow us at Cricket Media on Instagram and Twitter and subscribe to Keep It on YouTube for access to full episodes and other exclusive content. Plus, if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III, that's me, and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Nar Malconian, and Delon Villanueva for production support every week. And as always, keep it as filmed in front of a live studio audience. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.